Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Wow, somebody ought to shout something this morning. What a great time of worship. I'm telling you, that was good stuff. You may not know it, but I do. So listen to me. That was good stuff. Come on, give the Lord some praise this morning. Come on now. Matter of fact, this pastor said, this pastor said it's been good stuff all week long uh, in every aspect, in every area, just in everything. Uh, you guys have been so kind to us. You've been so good to us. We so much appreciate that. You know, uh, we haven't traveled too much this year, so it's been a, a weird year. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, uh, normally we're gone a lot. We're gone a lot. We're traveling all the time, everywhere. Uh, you know, you just land at home and time to wash your clothes and everything, pack them back in and, and be gone again. And it's not always easy to leave home. It's not easy to leave family. Uh, yesterday was my <laughs> 39th wedding anniversary. Um, I, I know it was one of those arranged, it was one of those arranged marriages. We were, we were married when we were one year old and, um, so, but, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know, you know, 39 years, uh, that's, that's a, I don't know if it's because I'm away on our anniversaries that, that it's lasted that long or, you know, or if it's just amazing. But, uh, anyway, uh, so it's hard to get on a, a plane and, and leave home. It is, uh, you got, you know, you know how it is. You got responsibilities, you got people, you got places, you got things, you got all of those things. But I'm telling you, when you come somewhere like this and you feel like you are home, um, because of everyone's love and everybody's uh, friendship and kindness has made us feel right at home. So we want to thank you all for that very, very much. Give yourselves a big hand because each and every one of you are amazing. How many has not been here yet this week at the, at the crusade event? How many have not been here? Wow. All right. Oh, hey, I want to challenge you. Come tonight. Uh, How many of you love your pastor? I'll tell you, he is, he is an amazing man. You need to come tonight because it might be the last time you get to see him. Um, So come tonight to at least wish him a farewell. And uh, because tonight he said, if this place is packed out, if the overflow is packed, listen, if the overflow and everything, if it's not full, we're not going to do this. It's not worth the risk. I mean, we've done this a few times. And um, I mean, most of the time it's been successful. But um, okay, maybe not most of the time, but a lot of times it has been. But uh, uh, we're going to, we've got a, I don't know where that bed of nails is. Uh, It's. Oh, it's right here. Oh, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words, so I don't know what 1,500 nails are worth. But we're going to take this, and we're going to drop it on your pastor's chest. And, oh, we're going to lower it on his, on his chest. We're going to lower this. 
We're going to lower this on his chest, and then we've got a 400-pound block of ice we're going to drop on top of this. Oh, we're going to lower this and lower the ice? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're no fun. Um, we're going to lower the ice onto his chest, and we're going to try to before these nails. Um, would somebody just come up here. Would you feel these? Just feel these real quick. Come on, we ain't got all day. I'm on a clock. Those are the real deal, huh? Genuine, real deal. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Riley told me he caught him. Pastor Randy was back with a file sharpening some of them earlier. I'm just, I'm just saying, Pastor, watch yourself, man. Um, but we're going to try to then before the nails actually punch through Pastor's body. And, you know, these are like three and a half inch nails, so they'll, they'll go all the way through him. And uh, so... So we're going to try to take sledgehammers and smash the ice off, beating the ice with sledgehammers while it's setting on the nails while sitting on his chest before. <laughs> all right. Um, have we already taken the offering? Because I want to make sure we get that all out of the way before that happens because, you know. Holy man, holy man in Charleston. That's right. He, he will be known now as the holy man. And uh, listen, let me tell you why pastor would, would, would agree to something so crazy. One thing, because we called him out public in front of his family and everybody. But um, that, that's one reason. But the, the main reason is he's willing to do whatever it takes to see people come to church that maybe has never been to church before. And they'll hear a message that they never heard before. And they'll make a decision that they've never made before. And that's what it's all about. That's what this whole week has been about. And pastors already shared some of that as we talked about uh, this, this crusade as it was planned before craziness happened in our world and everything else went wild. And I actually called on the phone and talked with them. Um, you know, I'm a founder of Team Impact, therefore one of the founding members of Team Impact. And, and uh, I called and said, do, are we sure we want to do this? Are we sure we'll be able to? I mean, the times are crazy, everything's. And, and he said, listen, we're going to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to make it happen. Uh, he said, we haven't closed our church during the whole time. And, and right then I knew because, you know, in, in Harris County in Texas, they told us we had to close our churches. So, um, we went ahead and we didn't go in the building, but we had parking lot church and we never stopped having church. And in order for that to happen, we had a whole lot of stuff we had to do because we have multiple campuses. So we had to set up stages outside. We had to do that. We had to do all these different things, uh, all kinds of extra things, but we never stopped having church because I don't know. I just got like one of those crazy guys. I think like pastors a little bit nuts too. Um, <clears throat> But I'm just one of those crazy guys that just says that we actually believe the scripture not to forsake the gathering ourselves together as some people do, as the habit of the world has become. But it's important that the body of Christ meets together because, well, it's the body of Christ. And so we have been doing that and we've been seeing incredible things happen and the miraculous hand of God. When I heard that, that that's what was happening, I said, hey, we're there. We're going to make this thing happen. And I want to tell you that we have felt so at home with, with, with Pastor and his family that have sacrificed and, and been at everything that's happening everywhere. When, when uh, the support staff and all the other executive pastors and, and Logan, I mean, we, we, I, I got at the airport when I landed. You know, I thought, you know, this is, going to be, this is going to be a week ordained by God. I mean, this is going to be ordained by God. It's going to, and then I got off the airplane and I began to walk out. And I, I, I thought I was having a vision. And, and I didn't know if I was in the body, out of the body. I didn't know what was happening. I thought like, I was, 
I mean, there Jesus is in a tank top and shorts. And I was like, and I knew then, I'm not the brightest guy. Don't make any comments, please. <laughs> but I was smart enough to know then something is happening here. I mean, it ain't everywhere you go. Jesus is already there, you know, and I don't mean in spirit. <laughs> so it, is, it has been absolutely phenomenal. I want to thank you, the church, each and every one of you. You guys are absolutely amazing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to give yourselves all a great big hand because you're amazing. And, and then all you that sheepishly raised your hand, I want you to be here tonight because it's going to be something that you won't want to miss. It, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I know some people say like, I don't know, big guys and tank tops and breaking stuff. And that's not really my thing. And, you know, sometimes it's not really our thing either, either as, as, as Alf ran through a, uh, uh, eight foot wall of ice up here on the platform and the ice cut his head open and busted him on the eye and he's bleeding and everything. He's like, I'm not sure this is my thing. <laughs> we're not sure it's our thing all the time either. Let me tell you what is our thing. You're seeing people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior that would have not come to hear another speaker or another singer because they don't know who that is, but they can identify to somebody slamming their head through a wall of concrete or running through a wall of ice or something like that. So they'll come again to a place they've never been to hear a message they've never heard to make a decision that they've never made. And that's exciting to me. And if you love Jesus, it better be exciting to you too. So change your plans, change your mind, make a decision tonight to be here tonight, but don't come alone. It's just too dangerous to come alone. Make sure you bring people with you. Make sure you bring people with you. It's going to be a tremendous, tremendous time. Um, so be here. I can't say it enough. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, oh God, for your word, which is forever true. God, that it changes the hearts of men. Lord, we thank you for all that you are continuing to do right here at Northwood Baptist Church. Lord, we are excited. We are thrilled to be a part of it, to be able to partner our ministries together for the kingdom of heaven's expansion. In Jesus' name, everybody in belief said, amen, amen, amen. I happen to pastor a couple of different campuses, uh, Crosby Church. We have a campus in Crosby, Texas. We have a campus in Huffman, Texas. Uh, it's Crosby Church. As we link Team Impact together, you can follow us uh, on Facebook with Team Impact. Uh, you can go to our website, team-impact.com. You can connect with us there. You can connect with me, with me and, and, and the ministries thereof at uh, crosbychurch.com, just crosbychurch.com, or you can get our, our app at Crosby Church. Just go to your app store, look it up. You be able to see as we partner together because pastor this is an ongoing relationship this isn't something that just because I promise you I'm streaming I'm streaming your church on our sites and because uh, I want everybody to see what's happening right here in South Carolina so so we are connecting that all together just believing God to further further that um I want to talk to you a little bit. I want to use the time that we have because the time we have is, 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 is leaving us. So I want to catch up to it. But the problem is, is that time is never easy to catch up to. And you can never really make time. You just got to chase time because time is always lineal. It's always moving away from you. Some of you younger ones, when you become older, you will look back and say, I remember that guy on the platform said that one time, but I didn't know it was running that fast away from me. Some of you that are a little bit older, you're saying like, yeah, 
I get it. He's right because time is always going, time is lineal. It's always going away from us. It's never coming to us. So you can never make more time. You can never gain time. What you can do, however, is you can lose time. You can waste time. You can be late and not on time. You can, I mean, I wasn't speaking of anybody specific. Um, you you can not be on time, but you can never you can never make up time. All right, you can never make up time in the natural, because time is is lineal. So the most important moments that we have is right now. Everybody say right now. Right now is the most important moment that we have because you have to understand that God moves in seasons. He moves in seasons. The Word of God tells us that to every season there is an appointment and a purpose on heaven and earth. There is an appointment to that to every season that there is an appointment and God moves in seasons. And if you're not sure if you believe that or not, just change your theology and start believing it because I'm praying and believing this season that we're in will soon be over. Somebody with me. This wasn't the season that I expected when I stood on the platform at the first of the year and said, hey, we're believing God for these things in 2020. This was not one of them that I was believing for a, for a pandemic to sweep across our lands and for churches to be shut down and for all these crazy things to be happening and all this disruption all over and chaos. And, and that, that wasn't so, so I know that God moves in seasons, but seasons don't come and go in life as we wish they would because some of us had some tough seasons. But they don't come and go as we wish they would. They come and go when they have accomplished that which was assigned to them, that which was purposed. So when that which is purposed is, is accomplished, then seasons come. So God moves in seasons, but he moves us in levels. And all of us are not at the same spiritual level. That's why we have different levels of, of discipleship and mentorship. And we have different levels because people move at levels. They were, the word of God tells us that, that, that Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child. I pottied in my britches. But when I grew up, I began to, to mature and I began to take responsibility and I became a man and I began to act in responsibly. And so God moves us in levels in our spiritual walk and our relationship with him. So as we press into the things of God, and I teach a real simple principle at my church, I teach a leaning in principle. It's real simple. It's very, very simple. I'm a, I'm a visual type guy. And so I teach a real simple principle. It's called leaning in. Now, you cannot pour water from a pitcher into a glass if you're leaning the glass away from the source. Hello? It won't work. So you have to lean the glass into the pitcher that you're pouring from. So God is desiring to pour into your life, so you have to lean in to the things that God is desiring to pour in into your life. And so it's a leaning in principle. Somebody just say lean in. You just lean into the things of God. You lean into pastor's teaching. You lean into the discipleship that's taking place. You lean into the mentorship that's taking place. You lean into the, 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 the preacher development that's happening. You lean into all these things, and God will pour in into your life. The Word of God tells us there's a couple different kinds of people. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, I had a whole different sermon that I was going to preach today. I, I brought it with me from home, and, and I know as, as pastor does, and I do, and we preach sometimes, you know, three or four different messages each and every week, and so you have this large library of different things that you could pick and pull from, and so I I'd kind of prayed over some things, and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to preach, and then upon some conversation just last night, I said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to share that. I want to share something different, and so, so 
I, I started praying, and the guys will tell you this morning that I was in the hotel, and I was trying to move, and, and I was writing notes and things in the hotel this morning because I had Wi-Fi connection in the hotel, and I didn't want to leave until, because, you know, we can't hardly even preach without the internet now. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming time because the days are evil. So right here in the scripture, God gives us some insight that there are two types of people. There are those that use time and there are those that waste time. There are those that understand the power of now because if you understand the power of now, that now is the most important moment in your life that you use your now effectively, it will affect your next. So that when you get there... Your next is going to be better than your before. But if you don't understand the power of now, you don't understand the ability to redeem time, that God gives us the ability to be able to redeem back that which was lost, stolen. So I can now, even though I lost some moments in my life, even though I lost some years in my life, even though I lost some times in my life, even though I went through some bad seasons in my life, God will do more for you in moments than what you do in lifetimes. So he gives us the ability to redeem time. So if I use my now effectively, it's going to affect my next. So God doesn't, God doesn't, doesn't scandalize them. He doesn't demoralize them. He just tells us that there are, are two types of people. Those that are foolish with their time and those that are wise and redeem time. So I want to redeem and use my now so that my next is better than before. Otherwise, I'm going to be like the children of Israel that wandered around the mountain again and again and again because they missed their moment. They didn't redeem the time and they used it foolishly and they found themselves in their next at the same place they was before. That's why a lot of people live circularly in their life that they just go around the mountain again and again and they're always struggling with poverty. They're always struggling with this problem. They're always struggling with that problem and nothing ever seems to change because we don't understand the power of now this moment right now that I use it effectively and I go to the next level that God's wanting to take me to so now my now became very effective into my next because my next when I get there I realize that I'm at a now and I'm going to use this now so I'm going to take another step and God's going to progress me in the maturing process of becoming more like Jesus now if you haven't realized it if you haven't acknowledged it you haven't seen it, that we live in a pretty selfish world. (laughs) I'm talking about people that's not here, not you guys. But we live in a pretty selfish world. But Jesus was a selfless guy. Jesus, the theatropos, God in the flesh, Jesus, if you read the life of Christ, you study the life of Christ, he did nothing for himself. He's tired. He he wants to take a break, but yet he tries to get away and rest just a moment, and people follow him, so he turns and he ministers. That he lived a selfless life, but he also lived a sinless life. That when he died a substitutionary death, his not only death could cover our sins, but his righteous life then could be imputed upon us. So that way, by the acceptance of his death, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, there is no covering. So he covered our sin if we would receive that free gift of salvation. And then he imputed his righteousness upon us so that when God looks at our hot mess, he sees his son's righteousness. Because he was selfless. Selfless unto death, even death on the cross. 
And he calls us to be less like you and more like him. And if we'll understand the power of now to progress me in my spiritual level and my walk with him, that my next is going to be better than my before. Or I could just be what the Bible says, foolish with my time. And I could walk around circularly living life, dealing with the same problems, the same circumstances, the same situations. But there is a liberation that takes place when a true realization comes upon you and you realize that you're not a victim of circumstance or a prisoner of your situation. Because some people just, they walk around victimized all the time because I wish I had the opportunities that you had. I wish I had the upbringing that you had. I wish I had parents that raised me in church. I wish this would have happened. I wish that would have happened. And they're continually a victim of their circumstances because they don't understand the power to redeem time. That you can use your now right now to step out of where you are to where God can take you to and you can move to that next level in the season that he has for you and that God will elevate you if you will lean in to him. See, what happens is we have a a problem in our cerebral And we see need as a weakness or we see emptiness as a lack of. But God doesn't see need as weakness or emptiness as lack. He sees them as potential. That's why he fills that which is empty, the empty spaces. He stretches out over the empty spaces. I know, I realize some of us have more empty spaces than others. But, um... But we have to realign our thinking. See, all potential is in future thought. All potential is in future thought. The Bible tells us, as a man thinks he is. Okay, now I know pastor is a Bible teacher. He is a man of God. Don't embarrass him by not knowing that fundamental scripture that I know you all know. The Bible says, as a man thinks he is, so So he is. So potential is in future thought. So what you have to begin to do is you have to begin to set your mind not on earthly things, but you have to set your your mind on heavenly things. That your God-gifted potential otherwise dies in your mind because you're seeing yourself where you are rather than where you can be. Have you guys got time for this? Oh, you're like, why did I come today? I know what some of you are thinking. Just break something. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 16. If you are in Christ Jesus, you've been given a new mind. We don't have a mind that's set on earthly things. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ then forces us to live in a sinless life. So that whatever season we're in, we're allowing God to develop in us a new level. Because God blesses people individually. How many of you say God's blessed you? Okay, I'm just telling you, every hand should have been up because if you have breath in your body right now, you are blessed. All right? And if you don't understand that, I'll have Ron unbless you. By the way, if you haven't met these guys, you've got to see them. Um, Ron Waterman and his accolades, and, and he's one of the most humble guys that I've ever known. And uh, 
He's, you know, on a world platform, world levels, the biggest names of the biggest, biggest, but, but yet he walks around in humility. He's a loving husband and an incredible father and loves God with his whole heart. And don't let his pretty blue eyes and his dimples fool you because he is lethal, but he loves God more than anything else. So he lives selflessly. Riley Israel, a selfless individual. Collegiate baseball player, went on to play some pro ball, powerlifting, world accolades. But he works serving in communities of elderly and giving them comfort at these stages and phases and moments in life. Alf, wherever, there he is right here. I couldn't find you earlier. I don't know how you can't find that guy, but anyway... Alf, Alf and I met some quite some time back, and and he was helping individuals. Let me tell you, we got a guy in our church that had a stroke, young guy, young guy, one of those unseen things, and lost use in his leg and his arm. Alf picks him up all the time, brings him to church, takes him home, does everything he can to help, just help make his life better. Trains him in the gym. Uh, attaches his arms both to a machine bench press so that the one arm that doesn't work is working with the arm that does work. He does the same thing with legs, helping mobility, all of these things, and just selfless acts. When he could be doing all kinds of other things, he's got world titles and accolades, but he says it's not about me, it's about him. Why? Because we have a new mind. God blesses us individually. He blesses us individually, but he moves in the body corporately. It wasn't an individual that put this crusade on to see numerous people coming to Jesus and hearing word of God, seeds being sown that would have never been sown otherwise. It wasn't an individual that did that. It was the body of Christ corporately because God blesses individuals, but he moves corporately in the body of Christ. See, Paul was never more free than he was right when he was in the middle of God's purpose and God's plan in his life, even if that was in prison. So to live at this next level that God has for you, you must now think and feel and behave and act as if you're already there. Because as a man thinks, so is he. So now I realize that God has purpose, potential, because the enemy maybe can't steal your salvation. What he can steal is your potential. What you could accomplish by choices and decisions that you make. So the power of now has to be used to embrace the will of God in our life. Otherwise, you just become one of those people that think you have a better idea. You have a better outline for your life. You have better plans for your life. I was talking with some of our, our young adults a while ago, and, and they, they have different opportunities and options that are going, and I gave them some great advice that my pastor always gives me. Hey, you just got to make a decision. You just got to make a decision. And if it turns out maybe it wasn't the decision you wished you would, just make another decision. But you got to make a decision because you can't sit stagnant in life and go nowhere because God will never... Have you ever tried to steer a parked car? You can't do it. Just get moving. Just get moving and allow God to direct you because God moves in the atmospheres that we create. And the atmospheres that we create for him is an atmosphere of praise and worship because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So it creates a dwelling place. And that's not just in a music forum. 
It's in our life exemplified Christ, which is worship to him. Every time that we show kindness to someone, every time that we are selfless, every time that is worship to an almighty and a holy God. So we create a dwelling place that we know that we are not alone, that God is right there with us and he is pouring into our life if we will lean into his. See, God moves in need and God moves in desire. Those are things that that motivate the hand of God. God saw darkness. Darkness is simply this void of light. There's a need there. So God said, I see need, let there be light. God saw chaos in the heavens and the earth. And he created structure. God saw, saw absence and he created the trees of the forest. He created the grass of the fields. He created the the mountains as he squeezed the earth and they grew out. God saw void of life, so he made life. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the fields. In all the acts of creation, we see God say it was good. The first time we see God say something wasn't good, when he created man, he breathed the breath of life into him and he became a living soul. The most intimate act of creation literally translates in original language as if God kissed man and he became a living being. And then out of loneliness, need, and desire, out of man, he creates woman to be in union with man. See, it's need that moves God, and God moves in need. He sees emptiness, need, as a resource, not a liability. So we have to have a shift in our thinking. talking about those that are willing to live a life of Christ-likeness, which is a selfless life. Well, you know a word that describes a selfless life? We use it all the time. It's called heroic. The definition of a hero is someone who acts in a time of need greater than their own. That's the definition of a hero. So someone who is willing to live a selfless life, to live outside of themselves, to see something bigger than they are themselves individually. In Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read you a story that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is it that you're reading? And so he answered him, he said, you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all thy soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him that you've answered rightly, do this and you shall live. But the lawyer wanting to justify himself, and we could talk a long time about that, but the lawyer wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, okay, well then who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered to him and said that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We could preach a sermon on Jerusalem and a sermon on Jericho and what those mean. And But... but I'm going to leave that to pastor at another time. And he went from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, just by chance, religion came, or excuse me, a priest came by down the road, and he saw him, and, and religion passed by, or excuse me, the priest passed by on the other side. And likewise, religion came by again, or excuse me, a Levite came by, and when he arrived at the, at the place, he came and he looked at him, and he passed by on the other side too. But there was an appointed moment, appointment in time, the power of now, that a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. He had compassion on him, because he saw need void, and he didn't see a problem with that. He saw a potential in that. 
And so he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring in the oil and pouring in the wine, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he, he took two dinero and gave to the innkeeper and said, take care of him whatever you spend. When I come again, I will repay you. So which of these, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the obvious question has the obvious answer to the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, good answer, good answer. Go, <laughs> the not so easy part. Go and do likewise. Go and live selflessly. Go and do likewise. Don't be like religion that never has nor ever will help anybody. But live like Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for many because he lived a sinless and a selfless life. Go and do likewise. Hey, do that and you're going to be okay. Live like that and you'll have eternal life. Be kind to your neighbor. But the lawyer willing to justify himself wanted to say, well, well, who is your neighbor? Well, let's talk about who your neighbor is not. Your neighbor is not your friends. Okay, it's not hard to be nice to your friends. They're your friends. Good, bad, the ugly, whatever it is, they're still your friends. They're still your friends, and so you just got to deal with them. Even though you might have those friend moments, you've still got to deal with them because, well, they're your friends, so you just do what you can. Well, then your family, they're certainly not your neighbor. They're your family. You're stuck with them. I mean, you know, that crazy uncle or whatever, you're just stuck with him. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you think or what you want to do, they're still your family. So the family is, so that's not your neighbor. Let me, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Let me tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is anyone who deserves judgment but needs mercy most. That's who your neighbor is. According to the story, that's who your neighbor is. To what Jesus tells us here, that's who your neighbor is. The one that you shouldn't like, that you shouldn't care about, that you have nothing in common with, but yet you saw a need and you had compassion and you moved in that need. It is the one who deserves judgment but needs mercy most. And we're confronted with that. It forces us then to take off our robe of self and to be clothed with the mind of Christ and to act outside of ourselves bigger than ourselves. And that's what a true hero is, is that one who acts in a time of need greater than their own, a selfless act. Proverbs tells us for men to search with their own glory is not glory at all, but that man is like a city that is broken down without walls. Now, especially in Old Testament times, walls were essential around a city because they brought stability, security, safety, refuge. And for a man to think he's all that in a bag of chips is like a city that's broken down. There is no security. There is no refuge. There is no safety. There is no stability in that individual's life because they think they are the comptroller of it all. Rather than living a selfless life for Christ, for men to search for their own glory is not glory at all. But they have no stability or no security in their life. See, in the world that we live in today, everybody wants to blame other people for their predicaments, problems, circumstances, and situations. We live in the most blessed nation on the planet. And our poorest individuals have more than 80% of the rest of the world. But we've built an entitlement 
generation that thinks somehow they're continually owed something because their predicament, even their choices, is not their fault. Now, we can point fingers at people because we are, we are being selfish or we could act selfless and acknowledge our own shortcomings because every one of us here, at a measure, have the same mentality. Well, I wish I would have had the chances that you've had. I wish I would have grew up where you grew up. See, I didn't have the privilege to grow up, grow up in, a, in a Christian home. I didn't have the privilege to have this given to me or that given. I didn't have the privilege to have the kind of education that you were offered. I didn't have the, so it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And we absolutely acknowledge that there are individuals that have more opportunity than others. But the problem is, if we settle in on that, we miss the moments in the season that we're in. Therefore, our now is lost and our next will never be any better. But if we use our now to make choices and decisions, because God gives us the ability to do that, then we can step into our next. So when we're there, it's going to be better than our before. And we can progress and we can move. People hung labels around me, this guy. Father was an alcoholic. He'll probably statistically be an alcoholic himself. He's got a lot of anger and rage built up inside of him. He's been in a lot of trouble. He'll probably end up in jail somewhere or in prison. He had this label and that label. He's got learning disabilities. He'll never go very far in life. He's got this, he's got that. But I used my now, even though I didn't fully understand the word of God, I used my now that affected my next with choices and decisions I made. Like when they hung those labels around me, I didn't, I didn't look at them. I didn't read them. I watered them up. I threw them on the ground because I knew there was something inside of me that said I was more than that. But often guys are the worst about blaming other people. Guys, it's like, you know, your drawers are on the floor. The, the cupboards are left open. You know, it's all, I don't know how that, why don't you close the drawer? I, don't, I didn't do that. I mean, I mean, let's just get real, you know. You can be the only male in the house. Why is the toilet seat wet? I don't know. <laughs> oh, don't act like none of you. I can't believe you said that in church. We don't actually live life. <laughs> so then your wife yells, put the seat up. So you put it up. And then you yell because you didn't put it back down. But guys, I got good news for you. It's not our fault. It's not. Read the Bible. It's not our fault. It all started in a little place called Eden. You know the story of the Garden of Eden. It's where a woman ate man out of house and home. You know. See, often, often, Eve gets a bad rap on that, but the Bible tells us that Eve was deceived. It was Adam who was instructed not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not Eve. The Bible tells us that Eve was deceived, Adam was disobedient. But then all of a sudden, as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, out of selfishness. Remember, Satan said, if you eat of the tree, you'll be like God. Well, I'd rather be an equal than have to submit See, none of us like spiritual authorities in our life. We want to be the authority. I'm the boss of me. I make the decisions here. We all have a little tendency of that because we're a little bit selfish. 
You mean I could be like God if I eat of that? So in selfishness, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God shows up. That's right, God shows up. (laughs) Isn't it funny, God always shows up at the most inopportune times? I mean, the times we don't want him there is when he shows up. We're involved in something we know we shouldn't be involved in, and all of a sudden the phone rings and we look at his pastor. Or some some of you younger people, you're like, you know, you're, you're, you you know, you're out on this date, and you're like, you know, I, you know, where's this? And then you're trying to trying to rationalize in your mind what is and what isn't and everything else. And then all of a sudden, you look and, and your phone rings and it's Jesus. I mean, I mean Logan. And if you if you if you if you put his picture identifying him on the contact. See, Adam lost the manhood that God had gave him, the position, the place, the calling, and the anointing, the authority, not when he sinned, but when he denied the responsibility of the sin. See, God shows up, and where's Adam? Adam's over, he's over hiding in the bushes. And God says, Adam, why are you hiding? (laughs) You saw what I saw, you know why I'm hiding. Because for the first time he realized he was naked. He was exposed. Had no concept or no idea before. Because sin will always expose you. And God said, did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The only tree that I told you not to eat of. The only one that I said, I said, eat of the tree of life. Eat of all the other fruits. Do all this. Do this. Just not this one. And what did Adam say? He says, it's not my fault. God, it's not my fault. And often we think he blamed Eve. He didn't blame Eve. He blamed God. See, we often have this image, this idea that, that uh, and I, I got to wind down, but, uh, but I'm just getting wound up. So, but it's not my fault. You guys have laughed at my jokes, so I just keep going. And so, so, so we have this idea we have this idea that, that, you know, Eve's at the mall shopping, spending all the money that, 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 Adam's over here working in the garden trying to earn and everything. You know, we have this idea, this concept that, and then somehow Adam comes home. He's, he's fat, you know, he's famine and he's, and Eve's fixing this real nice fruit salad. But if we read Genesis chapter three, verse six, it says that as the serpent lied and deceived Eve, that Adam was right beside her and heard everything and every lie that came from his split tongue. It says that Eve turned and gave to her husband that was with her there. And he ever once stepped up and spiritually covered his household or his home. He never once did the selfless thing. He did the selfish thing. And he said, God, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's the woman you gave me. She's caused this to happen. So God, it's your fault. I was doing great over here in the garden, working, taking care of business every day. Threw that out there, nobody got it. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. 
Okay, so. All right, he was working at the car wash. Okay. Pastor, you want to take over? Pastor's like, I've lost him now. They're never coming back. He's overworking in the garden. And, and he says, you know, God, is, I'm, I'm working. I'm doing what you instructed me to do. And I take one short nap. Get this sharp pain on my side. Now I live with this pain in the neck all the time. It's a tough crowd. I'm worried about the woman over here that said, I get it. He says, God, it's your fault. See, denial is the barrier that we must cross to get to acceptance of the responsibility for our sin. Because if we continue to blame someone else, we never truly take responsibility for our actions, so therefore we can never have true responsibility for that place and moment of salvation. Until we're responsible for our sin, we're never responsible for that gift that God gives us. Paul instructed Timothy of this. He said, things that you have heard among me, among many witnesses, the things you've heard of me. Commit them to two types of people. Those that shall be faithful and those that shall possess the ability to teach. So we pour our life in. Those that are faithful and those that possess the ability. Or make no mistake that, that ability will never supersede faithfulness. Because I see people all the time that have all kinds of talents, all kinds of abilities, all kinds of, but they're just not faithful. I'll be there. Yeah, sure you will. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about, I wasn't. I didn't mean that. Um, I'll be there, just be later. Uh, I'm, pastor's wife hates me now, too. So, people that just, they, they, they commit, but then they don't follow through. What I do is, and I've always had this practice, I've been in this for a long, long time, is people say, you know, I want to be in ministry, and what they mean is I want to teach, or I want to preach, I want to, do, I want to be up in the, the limelight, I want to be, but they, they don't want to burn in the fire, they just want to shine in the, but before you shine here, you got to burn there. You got to be time in prayer, selfless before God. So when somebody comes to me and wants to be in ministry, <laughs> I give them a toilet plunger and a mop. And I say the men's room and the ladies room, they need all kinds of ministry. Get it done. I plug in the vacuum sweeper. And have them start vacuuming the floor. and Because let me tell you something. Here's a principle that I've learned. Is those that desire to lead will never be good leaders at all. But those that desire to serve will be the greatest leaders history ever records. Because that's who Jesus is. He said, I just want to serve. I read in a book that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me close with this. I used to do a lot of street evangelism, a lot of street preaching in my, my younger years. That was like three years ago. Um, I used to do a lot of street evangelism. In the third ward and the, the fifth ward of Houston, there's a legend a living legend, about a street evangelist. His name was Jake. 
And he would go out on the street corners in the dimness of the street light or in the dark corners and he would just preach the gospel to people that were walking out on the streets late at night. He would share the gospel. He would give them tracts. He would read scripture. And they would mock him and they would ridicule him. Sometimes they'd knock him down, kick him, punch him, and beat him. Other times they'd just spit in his face. Sometimes they would throw cups of urine on him, beer cans at him. Young man with a call of ministry on his life wanted to spend some days with Jake and see what really made him tick and what, what system he was using and how he made things happen. So he went and spent a few days with him. Jake went out and did his thing as a young man watched him. And on one particular night, they came to Jake's little kitchen efficiency apartment in not a good area of town. They opened the door, and the door wouldn't quite open because it was catching on a knife that was laying on the floor because he had that mail slot in the door, and somebody had dropped a knife through that mail slot, and so the door was hitting it as he kind of nudged it open, and he came in. And without uttering a word, Jake picks up that knife, and he walks over to a set of what I would call old high school lockers, three of them, standing on the wall. And he opens that locker door up, and when he opens that locker door up to put that knife inside, all this paraphernalia falls out on the floor, knives and guns and little billy clubs and homemade weapons and just a bunch of array of different things fall on the floor. Well, he gets down on his crippled knees and he begins to pick them up one by one with his arthritic hands and put them in that locker. And when he gets the last one stacked in, he takes that knife that just came tonight and places it on top and slams the door very quickly. The young man being the genius that he is, he says, why don't you get like a foot locker or something and sit there on the floor because you know the next time you open that, it's all gonna fall out again. And it was with that statement, at that now moment, that changed all the next for that young man. Because he realized what ministry really was. Because Jake said the most profound thing. He said, young man, sometimes at night when I'm out there and I'm just sharing the gospel with people, just trying to love them. I get punched, I get kicked, I get beaten, I get beer thrown on me or urine thrown on my face. He said, every night's not like tonight. Sometimes I come home and there's nothing here. And I'll go open that locker and let those fall out on the floor so that I can pick them up and put them back in. Because you see, tonight was different. That knife that was in on the floor, that represented someone's life because on the streets here, if you don't have a weapon, then you don't have a life. So what that indicates very clearly is that somewhere in the darkness, the light of Jesus broke through. And that knife being dropped through this mail slot is symbolic of an individual who surrendered their life to Jesus. And that's what it means. So on those nights, when I'm bloody and beaten, when I've been spit on and cursed at, I'll open that locker and let them fall out. And as I pick them up and put them back in, I realize that that's one more. That that's one more. 
that that's one more that has come to know Jesus. And with that, now moment, it changed all the next to come. I've watched this week. I've watched individuals carry bricks up here and stack them and move ice and all kinds of stuff. I've watched them bring in trays and trays of food and present it on a table. I've watched lay ministry in the church filling all the voids and making things happen. I've watched the pastoral staff from every level doing everything they could to serve, to be selfless in the moments. Because as dozens of people come to an altar even last night, they all realize that that's one more. That's one more. As even your pastor's wife went out of her way to go ahead and invite somebody to church last night that wouldn't have come without that invitation, and eternity has changed. Let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here for that one more. Because that's what your next should look like. Because your next should look less like you and more like him. Would you bow your heads? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every one here this morning. I pray for a supernatural stirring of your spirit. That God, by your goodness because of your mercy and because of your grace, that you would touch hearts, that you would touch lives, that God, you would minister in and through. And if you're here this morning and you don't really, truly, absolutely know Jesus, I'm not talking about you attend a, a college Bible study. I'm not talking about you're a member of this church. I'm, not, I'm talking about a sold-out life that's selfless for Jesus. that's you then you need to use your now so that it makes your next much better than your before you need to surrender and sell out to Jesus with your heads bowed and eyes closed this is between you and the Lord right now please nobody look around honor honor. I'm going to speak to some of you adults because we go through the motions but we're that religious order that passed by on the other side without administering compassion. We get stuck in that sometimes. We didn't start that way, we just drifted that way because we got busy in life. But even for a fresh surrender and a fresh commitment today, there's nothing more important. I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to raise your hand, and I want you to say, that's me. I need more of Jesus and less of me. When I count to three, I'm just going to pray over you. I'm going to turn this over to pastor when I count to three, if that's you. One, two, three. I need less of me and more of Jesus. I want you just to lift your hand up from the youngest to the oldest. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out. This is, I should be closed. Honor God right now. At least honor your, 
your fellow servants here in the house. Let them have a moment right here of open honesty before God saying, I need less of me and more of you, God. Don't let me miss my now. Lord Jesus, I pray in agreement to each one that has lifted their hand, symbolic of surrender to you, that God, you would meet them right where they are, that God, you would touch, you would transform, that you would manifest in and through them, that there'd be a supernatural stirring, a supernatural touch, a supernatural movement in their life, that God's self is being removed and more of you is being poured in as we lean into what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray your blessings upon them. Strengthen them each and moment from this moment forward because you are good. In Jesus' name.